Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBercier. And this week, we actually have a guest on the show for the first time ever, which is extremely exciting. He's going to be telling us all about the walking stick, a really cool insect you can catch in the game. But first, we just wanted to take a second to plug our merch store again. If you haven't checked it out yet, definitely go to beyondblathers.square.site and take a look at the stickers, postcards, and atlas moth pin and see if anything catches your eye. We really appreciate all the support. And thanks so much to everyone who's bought something so far. It's been really exciting. And just to remind you again, that's beyondblathers.square.site. Okay, cool. Now on to the walking stick. Yes, so we're here with Alon, which is very exciting. Um, Alon and I met at the museum, at the Royal Alberta Museum, where we volunteer in the bug lab. Well, I guess the, the bug room and the bug hatchery. So we're just surrounded by bugs all the time. And Alon has a lot of experience in entomology, so I'm going to let him introduce himself, talk a little bit about that, but we're really excited to have him on. Thanks, Olivia. I'm really excited to be here. So a little bit about myself. I am the course facilitator for Bugs 101 at the U of A, which is also an online course that can be taken on Coursera.com for free. So if you want to learn more about bugs, you can check that out. And as Olivia said, I also volunteer at the Bug Gallery at the Royal Alberta Museum. So I really love working with bugs and I've been there for a long time now. Hopefully I'll never leave. (laughs) So that's a little bit about myself. That's great. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. We're really excited. My pleasure. Okay, so if you bring a walking stick to Blathers, he'll say, The walking stick looks just like a twig, does it not? Who? It even has knots like a real twig would. These bashful bugs mimic plants in this way to hide from predators. A noble goal, you might say. But though the deceptive wretches fool some, they do not fool me. I see these bugs for what they are. Monsters, plain and simple. I say, did you know that walking sticks can grow to two feet long? Imagine running into one. Surely I would faint. It's a pretty aggressive take on that. Yeah, like, how do we feel about that, Ilan? <laughs> I think it's a little harsh, to be honest. Uh, while their size is certainly monstrous at times, they're really gentle giants. They're pretty much totally harmless to humans, and so I don't think anyone needs to be afraid of them. In fact, when I get people coming to the Royal Alberta Museum that are a little bit nervous about insects, this is typically the insect that I will bring out to show them first. Yeah, so can you tell us a little bit about them and and why should people not be afraid? Why are they gentle giants of the insect world? Yeah, so first I'll just give you guys a little bit of a lowdown about what the name means. So stick bugs, also known as walking sticks, and stick insects make up the order Phasmatodia. So this is an order of insects. And the name Phasmatodia is actually kind of interesting. It comes from the Greek root phasm, which means phantom, referring to their cryptic appearance. They're almost phantom-like in that you can't really spot them when they're out in the wild. So most stick bugs look, as you'd expect, like sticks. However, many members of the order Phasmatodia might also look like leaves, like the leaf bugs, which you can also find in Animal Crossing. And even some will camouflage by looking like other plant parts, and some even look like they're covered in moss. And so they can have some variable appearance, but typically they'll look like a stick or a branch. So in terms of that variable appearance, like, do they tend to be pretty small? Do they tend to be kind of medium-sized? Can you tell us a bit about that? 
So they can be quite variable in size. You might get some that only grow to a max of a couple inches in length, but typically they are quite large. In fact, they're the largest insects in the world by length. The longest one ever recorded was measured at being 64 centimeters, so certainly over two feet. So these are quite large insects. Now, even though most of them are quite big, they can actually still fly, which is quite impressive when you're such a big bug. So of course, like all insects, only the adult stick insects have wings. No juvenile insects will have wings, only adults. Now, you can see the wings beginning to develop in the late stage juveniles as these little wing buds on their back. They look kind of like little backpacks, and that's where the wings are developing. Finally, when they're adults, they'll grow a full set of wings. Now, the males will have large hind wings, and these are the ones that power flight, while the forewings, the front wings, are kind of just stiffened into these protective structures called tegmina. The tegmina, the forewings, protect the delicate hind wings from damage and help them to kind of camouflage a little bit better so no one can see the wings. Now, the males have these large wings, and they also have very skinny bodies, and this allows them to fly. The females, however, even when they do have wings, are typically too heavy to fly. They're really heavy because they're full of eggs. The females are the ones that have to do the work of producing these large eggs that the offspring are in. So the males are typically the only ones that can fly, and even when you do find wings in females, they're simply too big to fly. There are, however, plenty of stick bugs that have lost their wings completely and don't have wings at all. They may have vestigial little wings that are no longer useful, which may mean that these species will lose their wings over evolutionary time as well, since they're not really used anymore. Those that do have wings are not very good flyers, and only the males will fly. They'll typically do so at night, when most visual predators are less active, since their flying is just not very good, they can't move very fast or go very far, but it's certainly faster than walking around, which is really their only other alternative. That's so cool. And so you mentioned before that they camouflage really well, like they can look like they're covered in moss or leaves. How does that work? How does that mimicry happen? So mimicry versus camouflage is actually a little bit different, and stick bugs do both. So mimicry is when you mimic another structure of a plant, such as a thorn or a stick, whereas camouflage is when you're just blending into your surroundings. So the mossy stick insect is using camouflage. He's just kind of blending into the moss, whereas most other stick insects and leaf bugs use mimicry. So because they don't fly very well and they're not very fast, they'll rely on mimicry in order to escape predators, or rather, to prevent predators from finding them in the first place. So their color and their shape are very convincing. They're often green, but they might actually change color to brown during the dry season to match the more dry surroundings. When they feel threatened, they'll sit very, very still, making them very difficult to spot in their natural habitat. Now what's interesting about stick bugs is not only their appearance mimics sticks, but even their behavior is adapted to suit their mimicry. So when they move while they're feeding or simply exploring, they'll actually shake their bodies back and forth to impersonate a twig or a leaf blowing in the breeze. Now at the Royal Alberta Museum where I volunteer, we have stick bugs in the bug gallery. And when I'm handling them, I'll often blow on them a little bit and it makes them shake back and forth in response to the breeze. And it looks a little bit like they're doing a fun little dance. Now, when mimicry is not enough, some species of stick insects can actually have other defenses against predators. Some of them can release caustic or toxic chemicals. They do this through something called reflex bleeding. So basically their hemolymph, the equivalent of insect blood, is pushed out through pores and joints in their exoskeleton. 
The hemolymph, the blood, contains defensive compounds that ward off predators and generally make them unappetizing. Some stick insects can produce other similar secretions that aren't made up of blood, while others may actually regurgitate their stomach contents, kind of like a sea cucumber, which usually make them smell pretty foul, and that'll also help discourage predators. Now, these defenses are not found in all stick insects, and the ones that people usually keep as pets won't have these defenses, and they're only really used as a last resort when they're feeling threatened. As a human, if you do get some of this defensive compound on your skin, it'll typically only be dangerous if you get it into your eyes, and it'll taste really gross if you get it into your mouth. But that said, they're typically much safer to handle than many other insects. They don't really bite people because their mouths only really open wide enough to chew on the edge of a leaf, so it's hard to get your skin in their mouth and they won't really bite as a defense mechanism. That's so cool. That was so much cool information that I didn't know about phasmids, and I'm just basking in awe of their amazing insect superpowers. Also, the distinction between mimicry and camouflage, I love that because I, I'm sure at some point someone has told me that, but I've since forgotten. So it's really nice to be reminded that there's a definite difference between those two. So that's really cool. Wow. And so, okay, so you mentioned that they're eating leaves and stuff. Do they eat anything else? Or are they purely herbivorous? Yeah, that's a great question. So most insects will have members of an order that are herbivorous, some that are carnivorous or omnivorous. Stick bugs, however, are entirely herbivores. There's no carnivores, there's no omnivores in the group, they're all herbivores. They almost exclusively eat leaves, but they can eat other plant tissues, such as soft parts of the flowers or the new growth of fresh stems and branches. So they'll eat different parts of the plants, but most of the time they're just eating leaves. And some of them might only eat a few species of plants, while others might eat multiple different kinds of species. It really just depends on the individual stick insect species. Yeah, I think that's one of my favorite things about dealing with the phasmids at the museum is we don't have to take out any rotten fruit from their, from their tanks. So that's kind of a nice treat. But yeah, it's, it's always been fun to deal with them at the museum. And I know, yeah, you always bring them out for guests. And, and what, what about them is like your favorite thing? What beyond all else? captures your attention. Other than the fact that you, we don't have to clean out their poop or moldy food at mm. the museum, uh, <laughs> I do love that they live on what they eat. So, you know, you give them a plant and that's both their food and shelter at the same time. But one of my favorite things about phasmids or stick bugs is the unusual and interesting way they reproduce. And there's a couple things about their reproduction system that I find really, really fascinating. So the first interesting thing about their reproduction is that most stick insects can produce offspring through unfertilized eggs. So this is called parthenogenesis, and it means that females can make babies without any involvement from a male. So there's no fertilization happening, there's no sperm. The eggs essentially turn straight into developing embryos. Now you may think this is great, a woman that doesn't need no man. <laughs> and it can certainly be, be beneficial for the stick insects because in a case where there's maybe only a single female on a plant, she can actually start a whole colony on her own and, you know, get, get some stick insects growing on that plant and get a colony started. It also means that if you want to start your own colony at home, you only really need one female. However, it does have some drawbacks. So it means that the offspring are restricted to her gene pool because no males are coming in bringing in new different genes. And so no new genes will be mixed into her children's DNA. Now the kids aren't necessarily perfect clones of their mother as occurs with many other animals that exhibit parthenogenesis where the offspring will basically be a perfect clone of the mom. In stick insects, this doesn't really happen. 
they're really well adapted to this parthenogenic lifestyle. In stick insects, when they're reproducing without a male, the chromosomes can actually still cross over during meiosis, which creates some variation in the female's offspring. So all of the offspring will still be female, and they're still restricted to all of the genes of their mother, but they might be mixed up a little bit differently. Now the second really neat thing about stick insect reproduction, and this is my favorite thing, is their relationship with ants. In order to explain this properly, I first need to introduce you to a whole different thing, and that's a type of plant called myrmecophytes. So we're gonna go off track a little bit here while I explain this, and then we're gonna jump back into stick bugs. So just bear with me here. Yeah, sounds good. So myrmecophytes are called ant plants, and they're basically any species of plant that lives in a mutualistic relationship with ants, such as acacia trees. So keep in mind the difference between symbiotic and mutualistic, where symbiotic just means there is a relationship. Mutualistic specifically specifies a type of symbiosis where both are benefiting from the interaction. So even parasitism is a type of symbiosis, contrary to how the term may be used in popular language. So back on track. Myrmecophytes have a mutualistic relationship with ants. The ants actually live on the plants and they'll defend the plants from herbivores. They will bite and sting anything that tries to eat the plant they live on, other insects, and they can even overwhelm large mammalian herbivores like giraffes. Giraffes, you know, have these really, really long tongues that they'll use to strip all the leaves off of a tree, such as an acacia, and the ants will actually swarm them and sting and bite their tongues in order to get the giraffes to get away from their home. In return, the plants provide the ants with resources that they need for survival. So the myrmecophytes provide the ants with shelter in the form of hollow cavities called domatia. These are formed by the plants specifically to house ants. The myrmecophytes also produce food for the ants. They can have something called extrafloral nectaries, which are basically a structure that produces nectar without having any flowers. So this nectar is produced just for the ants. It's not for to attract pollinators. These myrmecophytes, these ant plants, can also have things called Beltian bodies. These are little detachable growths on the leaves of the plants that are really high in protein and fats, which the ants just love. So the plants are providing the ants with lots of food. Now finally, and this is what I've been leading to, myrmecophytes also produce seeds that have little fatty nubbins on them called ileosomes. These ileosomes are full of nutrients that the ants need, and the ants will forage for the seeds and bring them back to the safety of the nest. In the nest, the ants will consume the ileosomes and leave the rest of the seed intact. In fact, they'll just leave the seed in their nest. The seed has now been transported to the safety of an underground ant's nest away from seed predators like birds. The ants' nests are also high in fertilizer for the seeds in the form of the ant waste, so the seeds are really set up in the best place they could be to germinate and grow. Now, back to stick bugs. You'll ask, what does this have anything to do with stick bugs? Well, what's really neat about stick bugs is that their eggs actually have these fatty nubbins as well, just like the ileosomes on seeds. In fact, many of the eggs even look like the seeds. The ants don't care whether it's a seed with an ileosome or a stick bug egg with the same fatty nubbin. They'll bring it to their nest and feed on the fatty structure either way. The stick bug eggs are left, just like the rest of the seed, underground in the safety of the ant colony. So when the stick bug nymphs hatch, and the nymphs are like larvae, but they look just like the adults, in this case, they actually look a little bit different than the adults. While they may have the same general body form, they're much darker. And instead of walking like a stick bug with a shake in their step, the baby stick bugs actually walk like ants as well. So they're dark, they're almost black, and they're quite fast like an ant is. 
Now, the baby stick bugs will actually walk right out of the ant colony safely, because not only do they look like ants, they can actually mimic their pheromones as well, and chemically camouflage themselves in the ant colony. So the little baby stick bug is hatching in the ant colony, and because it smells just like the other ants, it just walks right by them without eliciting any defensive behaviors from the ants. So they're born, and they can walk right out of the colony safely, find a plant to eat and live on, and start the rest of their life as a walking stick. So I think stick insects are really neat, and there's a lot of great things about them, and they're really one of my favorite insects to interact with because they're pretty much harmless to humans. That's amazing. So, I mean, they've just adapted this ability to live. And is that if that whole situation you described with the ants, does that happen with bugs and, and leaf bugs, I guess? Is, is that referring to the whole group that does that? Or are there, would that be something that only happens in certain continents or certain areas that they've evolved to do? Or as a whole group of insects, is that something you see very often in the group? That's a good question. So basically these eggs that are adapted to lure ants are found in almost all stick bugs, but they're not found in all of them. So there are certainly plenty of stick bug species that don't display this behavior. And typically their eggs will just drop to the ground and they might just kind of get camouflaged in the leaf litter and hide under there. They won't really, stick bugs don't really place their eggs anywhere in particular. They typically just let them fall out of their abdomens and onto the ground. <laughs> and then it's up to them to survive. That's amazingly cool. Wow. That is, yeah, just such a cool story. It's like, oh, they're little, like, spies, basically. Yeah. I mean, I kind of, like, get why Blathers is suspicious of them, because, like, that's that's suspicious behavior. I they are <laughs> bugs undercover. They, they're born into the spy business. They, yeah. they have it in their blood, or I guess their insect blood, which I can't remember suddenly the... Hemolymph. <laughs> the hemolymph. It's in their hemolymph <laughs> to be spies. And that, oh, wow. What a time. Does does that hurt the, the ants at all beyond them having to expend the energy to like, but not even because then they get fat from it. So it's it's just like a great, everyone everyone wins in this situation. Is there ever a situation where it, it doesn't turn out well? Like, do they, I don't know, if they're big, do they... Do, do any of them ever hang around and eat some of the ants' food or something? That's a good question. So it is actually mutualistic for both the ants and the stick bugs. You know, the stick bugs get the shelter, and then the ants get to eat the little fatty nubbin. Uh, the stick bugs are purely herbivores, so they never uh, will bother the ants or their larvae or anything. And they won't eat the ants' food either, because ants don't really eat fresh leaves. Even leafcutter ants, which you'll see gathering leaves, they bring it back to a fungus that's in their nest, and then the fungus is what the ants eat. So the stick bugs are never really competing for the same food source as the ants. So it really is just a, a relationship where both, it's a win-win. Both benefit. That is so cool. Wow. What a, what a great situation. Wow. I also, I had a question. I can't remember if you said this earlier, but where can stick bugs be found? So stick bugs can be found all over the world, with the exception of Antarctica, of course. And they, they are found kind of everywhere, but they'll typically be found more in warm climates. So we don't get them here in Alberta. But if you go to BC, you will get some stick bugs there. I believe there's only one native species and then there's some introduced species. But uh, they, they are found all over the world on every continent except for Antarctica. They're not very common. However, it may be that they're more common than we think just because they're so hard to find. 
Yeah, they're amazingly good at camouflaging. Like the species at the museum. Remind me, what species is that? Is that the Philippines stick? So we have a Philippines le uh, leaf insect. And then we have the McClay's specter sticks. And those are the two that we kind of have consistently. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's so funny to like watch people look for them. And as soon as they like you have to point them out and then you start seeing more and more once you finally realize what they look like. But they're so hard to distinguish. Like they're just so good. Like even as humans, we're like, I know in this small tank there are bugs, but I can't find them no matter how hard we try. But then the funny thing is sometimes the tanks are empty. So there'll be like multiple tanks, but they'll have plants in them still. And so you'll have people like staring into these empty tanks, like, where are they? <laughs> I always feel kind of bad for those people, but it could very well be the case that they're just hiding, but... You certainly need a good eye to spot a stick insect. But the good thing is that if you do spot a stick insect in nature, obviously be gentle to, uh, with it, but you can handle them. The worst thing mm -hmm. they can do is get a little bit of that defensive compound on your skin, and as long as you're not touching your face right afterwards, it's fine. So while blathers may have a point, they're kind of tricksters in <laughs> both when they're at babies and adults, they're pretty much harmless and so it's nothing to be afraid of you know maybe skeptical but no need to fear them <laughs> and um Elon I don't know if you know off the top of your head but we like to talk on the podcast about like sort of their conservation status usually of the species or kind of how they're doing in the wild and if there's anything like that people can do to help them besides obviously I guess being gentle if you see one or something. <laughs> Would you be able to speak to that at all? Yeah so stick bugs the phasmatodia of course there's lots of different species and plenty of them are rare or perhaps endangered but it's really hard to monitor them because they camouflage so well and so a lot of the data might actually be pretty unreliable. In general, though, the group is not really in any danger of uh, going extinct anytime soon. There's plenty of stick bugs that are quite common around the world. And they're not really typically pests on our agriculture, at least not major pests. And so we don't really have a problem with them. And um, it's, it's mostly habitat loss that will kind of harm their population. So it's when their food source is, you know removed for agriculture or for urbanization, that that's when they're at risk. So long as their plants are, their food plants are around, they're going to do just fine. They're not very sensitive to things like climate change. And so with the exception of their host plants being in danger, the stick bugs are typically going to be okay. In Alberta, we don't really have native stick bugs, but if you do want to support the stick bugs, you can look up what species are native to your area and plant some of those crops in your garden, or some of those plants in your garden, rather. Um, they may not necessarily be crops. You know, the stick bugs will eat away at them, but unless you have a huge population, they're not going to do much damage to the plant. Plants can typically recover from defoliation just fine, and so they're not really a garden pest that you need to worry about or anything. Personally, I think they're really cool to have in your garden because you can interact with them and they're not harmful to people. You know, if you have kids, you can show them these really interesting creatures and uh, know that they're not going to hurt the kids and, you know, just be careful not to hurt them in return because they are quite delicate. Mm -hmm. They have thin little bodies, thin little legs, and so they can break. The neat thing about stick bugs is that if they do break off a leg, they can actually regrow it. What? Yeah, so stick bugs, like all insects, they'll molt in order to grow. And unless they're adults, the adults no longer molt. But if a juvenile loses a leg, it will actually come back in the next molt. And it'll be a tiny little miniature leg that might not even be super functional, that will eventually get larger after multiple molts. 
Wow, that is so cool. Wow, what a what a handy trick. Like if if you had like a little deer munchin accidentally grabbed a piece of leaf, leaf bug leg and it just grows back. They're just like a step away from plants it seems like. Like they could just grow it. Wow, that's amazing. These are my new favorite bugs. I mean, I knew they were cool before, but I've I found a deeper appreciation for them. Yeah, I think when people think like about them being cool, it's just how great they are at mimicry, but then knowing that they have all these other adaptations and other sneaky things they do, very cool. They really are more complex creatures than people give them credit for, you know. They may look just like a a stick and nothing more, but there's so much more interesting things going on there. Yeah, I know sometimes looking at especially like the stick stick insects that are just like this tiny thin body, I'm like, how do you have any organs functioning in that? Like how does that work? <laughs> it just blows my mind that you, that can even survive and have like an impact on their environment and be consuming things. Like, I think it's pretty extraordinary that you can have these little aliens walking around in these different body shapes and they still survive and they still thrive in some places. Yeah. And I mean, most of their body is full of digestive system and reproductive system, right? They don't really need a ton of muscles because they're not very active flyers and they're not very uh, fast movers. So they're not very strong. Um, they don't have very strong jaws. They basically only need to, you know, chew up leaves. They're not eating anything that's very, that's too tough. So they're basically all digestive and reproductive system. That's amazing. They're just minding their own business. They're not here to mess things up. It's interesting that they can be so large. Like we talked about that a bit with the Atlas Moth episode. Just you don't see that super often anymore with insects that they would be that big. Yeah, because there are pictures of like people with stick insects that are like half the length of of their arm. And I'm like, that is crazy. Like, I can't even imagine holding something like that. Like, it's the length of a small cat. I'm just... It's pretty insane. And I mean, some of that is to, you know, uh, if you're bigger, that means that there's less predators that can eat you, right? If you're a big stick insect, now the small birds can't eat you. Maybe something like a mantis would have trouble eating you. And so size is part of a defensive adaptation against predators. And then, of course, it also means that they can produce more eggs. And so being bigger does come with kind of multiple benefits, especially if you don't have to worry about being seen. You know, being bigger does make you more obvious to predators, but if your camouflage is so great, it doesn't matter if you're a foot-long stick insect or a half-inch long stick insect, no one's going to see you anyway. (laughs) That's a very good point. Yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Before we end off, is there anything you wanted to plug? Any? I know you, you mentioned the MOOC, the um, open online course on Coursera. If you want us to, we can promote any pages you have, your art page or anything like that. Sure. Yeah, why not? I'll plug in a couple things. So uh, first, as I mentioned earlier, if you are interested in bugs, you can take Bugs 101 on Coursera.org. And you can take it for free or for credit if you'd like to kind of show off that you've taken a course. It's a university level course, but it's certainly interesting and will be appealing to people of many different educational backgrounds. And then finally, if you're interested in nature in general, feel free to check out my art page. I'm also an artist on the side. Uh, You can check out my Instagram at uh, crude underscore organism. Yeah, check that out if you're interested. Yeah, we'll definitely tag you when we post our social media stuff. But yeah, I I took the Coursera course and it was super fun. You can check out Alon's really nice design skills, prime design. 
and yeah definitely check out that instagram page he does some really cool work so great thank you so much yeah, thank you so much it was so much fun to learn about bugs and not have to go and do all the research myself <laughs> so it was that was really cool thank you guys so much for having me i really enjoyed it yeah and thank you everyone so much for listening if you're a new listener, don't forget to subscribe and follow us at Beyond Blathers on Instagram and Twitter for updates. And please, everyone, go check out our merch store at beyondblathers.square.site. Tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bye! Bye!